If you take your Bibles this morning, let's look in Genesis chapter number 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we'll dismiss our children for children's ministry while we're in Genesis chapter number 12. And if you want to put a, a marker in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 will be the commentary upon what we're looking at this morning in Genesis 12. We'll turn to Genesis 12, we'll be in Genesis 17 and Genesis 22, those three chapters. And then Hebrews 11, a few verses there, give us the commentary really on all three of those chapters. But we'll start out in Genesis chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Life is a series of tests. I don't know of many who like tests, but along various ways and under various circumstances as we move along, we'll find that we too will be tested. And Abraham is one of the great examples in all the Bible of someone who experienced tests. We come to Genesis 22, in just a moment we'll look there, and we find specifically stated that God tempted, tested Abraham. Some have had conflicts with that because James chapter 1 and verse 13 tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But we have to understand the difference, however, in the test that God brings into your life versus the temptation. One statement that's always been a help to me is that Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us, while God will test us to bring out the best in us. And he may even use Satan who comes to tempt you. We saw last Sunday night how Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and here we find that he was tempted of the devil. But God can use the tempting of Satan. Satan's desires to bring out the worst. God who's greater as the high king of heaven we sung about. He will turn it into a test to bring out the best in you. We're looking at this journey of experiencing God in our heart and in our home this year. And we're talking specifically in these Sunday morning messages on how to experience God now. Not just in generality, but in actuality right now. And in order to experience God, we're going to have to know how to pass the test that God places in our life. I want to preach this morning on how to pass God's test. Let's stand together and we'll look at Genesis chapter 12 to be our starting point, Genesis 12, beginning in verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham did what? Departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. 
And Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. How to pass God's test. Thank you. Please be seated. Abraham was indeed tested. And we're going to see this morning that he experienced some incredible tests, supreme tests. The truth is God doesn't want Abraham to fail any test and God doesn't want you to fail his test. He wants you to pass his test. And that is why God tells you exactly what the tests are going to be before they ever come into your life. In God's word, we find that all the great men and women of the Bible were tested. And testing is how your muscle of faith is strengthened. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not that it's hard, but it is impossible to please God. So we're going to be tested just as the saints of old were tested. And just like those who come after us will be tested because that's part of God's process. And you and I experiencing the so much more that he has in store right now. There was a cartoon about a country preacher who was praying. In the first frame, it showed this preacher. He's praying to the Lord and he said this, Lord, I've never asked you for much. And in the next frame, he says, Lord, I've never asked you for much, but there's one thing that I want. Lord, would you grant me humility and dignity? And then the next frame, it shows a, shows a lightning bolt coming out of the sky. And then all of a sudden this crash as he's affected by the lightning. And then it shows the preacher standing there where his trousers, his pants had fallen. And he's there in his boxer shorts with heart shapes on them. And then the next frame, he looks up and he says, Lord, this is a test, isn't it? <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? You're praying for God to do something and you begin to get the suspicion that he's testing. Abraham shows us how we can pass the test of life. Life's greatest test. If we don't pass these tests, we will forfeit what God has in store right now. Three specific ways in which Abraham was tested. Genesis chapter 1, we're looking at the first one. And by way of notes here and outline, number one, we see the test of faith. The test of faith. Now, that's what it's going to say on the screen. But I, I'm, I want to change this because ultimately all throughout these tests, it's faith. It's faith in every one of these. Point number one, if you would write it this way, I think it would, it's, it's more uh, accurate because everything is a test of faith ultimately, or it's an issue of faith. But number one, it's a test of obedience. Abraham is being told to leave a land. There's a test of obedience. And often this test, it involves asking the question, where and when? Have you ever find yourself asking, where, God, are you wanting me to land? When, God, is this going to come to an end? When, God, is this going to happen? And so, ultimately, this is a test of obedience. We just read this passage. Abraham was called by God to go out to a land, to another land from where he is. 
and he was called to go without knowing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Abraham went not knowing where, where he was going, not knowing what, where he was to turn, what he was to do. And we're told here in verse number four, he's 75 years old. He's past retirement age. And here's a man who's ready to hang it up. And God said, take it down, dust it off, because I'm going to give you the most unbelievable experience of your life. I'm going to send you to a country that you know not of. I, I'm going to do some things in your life, and, and, and it's beyond your wildest imagination. And Abraham is saying, well, Lord, where is it? And he said, I'll tell you when you get there. And Abraham says, well, how do I get there? And God says, you just start out, and I'll show you where to go. And I can imagine what his wife must have thought, what Sarah thought. And, and you can imagine when you're telling your wife, um, we're moving. Where are we moving? We don't know. And then how long are we going to be there? We don't know. Well, how is this going to happen? I don't know. And that's exactly what Abraham is doing. And she said, where and, and when? And Abraham didn't have any answers for her because God didn't give him the answer. See, the idea of faith is stressed in these passages. In verse number one, the Bible says that Abraham is told to leave. Leave his country. Leave his people. Leave his father's household. But he was told nothing about the land to which he must go. See, his departure required an unparalleled act of faith. But faith that results in obedience in the highly mobile society in which we live today, people tend to move. They move for all kinds of reasons. We prefer a different climate, a chance of promotion at our job, a change of environment. It may solve our problems. We just don't like it where we are. But many times people move, and probably too often, and they move not because of the, the leading of God, but because of just circumstantial things within their life. It might be healthy for us. I say it, it would be healthy for us to consider whether we've ever made a move in faith based on what God has been saying to us about his eternal purposes and the role he expects us to play in their fulfillment. What a change it would be if God's people only moved whenever God was clearly speaking. See, God wanted to take Abraham from the country of Ur into the land of promise. And some of you might be feeling today that God's leading in certain areas in your life. God may be giving you a test. God might be speaking to you, dealing with you, doing some things in your life, and you don't know exactly where God will have you end up. But real faith will follow God's leading, even if we don't know where. See, what God is doing in Abraham's life, in order for Abraham to experience God now, he's taking him out of his comfort zone. You know, often... We have the idea that the preacher is to, he's to comfort the, uh, those that are hurting. And what God is doing many times is he's trying to disturb those that are comfortable. 
And God will use the ministry and the message and, and the makeup of his church and the work in order to disturb our comfort zones. Why? Because God wants you to experience him. We find in John chapter 4, Jesus met a woman and he led her to knowing salvation. In John chapter 4, the Bible says that this woman, she did what? She left her water pot. She left her water pot in John 4, 28, and she went into the city and she told the men. She said, come, see a man. And that man was Jesus Christ. And that city came to Jesus because a woman left her water pot. Too many of God's people are hanging on to their water pot. This is mine. This is what I do. This is what I know. And God wants you to leave the water pot for the souls of men. Now, I've seen people, I've seen people take their toys and go home, pack up their stuff and leave, and they will do it under the name of Jesus. The only problem with it is they don't ever bring more people to Jesus. They're not leaving because of conviction. They're leaving because of certain other circumstances that, that maintains their holding on to their water pots. We find in John chapter 4, Jesus, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, when Jesus called his disciples, these were men that were expert fishermen. And Jesus in Matthew 1.18, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers and he saith unto them follow me I will make you fishers of men see God's always wanting to make in us fishers of men God's always wanting us to be involved in the biggest business in all the world that's his business and bringing people to him and the Bible says and Matthew 1 and verse 20 and straightway that means immediately they left their nets they had to get away from their comfort zone. They didn't just leave their nets, but they followed him. See, I, I know how Satan works. He's going to call somebody and say, you know, I think we need to leave. Well, that's fine. God tells you to leave, leave. I'll help you pack. But if you're doing it under the name of God, then you might want to follow the other recipe that God has given. And that is, how about get right at the same time? See, Abraham's not going out with pooch lip. He's not saying, finally, God's off my back. No one's going to tell me what to do. No, Abraham is believing God, about to experience God, and he's experiencing one of the great tests, and that is, will you obey even if you never have answered the question that you have, where and when? Will you obey because his name is God. And God's doing this work within his life. What is God doing? Well, he's getting him out of his comfort zone. He's clarifying what his real desires are. And what God is doing in Abraham's life is this. He's adjusting his trajectory of life. See, God says, um, you, you say you want to draw near to God. God says, you're praying, God bless us. You say you want God's power, but you're going the wrong direction. And so what God is doing is he's trying to change the trajectory of your life. Do you think that God is concerned at all about Abraham? Yes or no? Yes. Do you think God might be concerned about anybody that were to follow Abraham? Yes. 
Do you think God's concerned about you? It doesn't really matter what you think about it. God loves you and he loves you more than you'll ever know. But do you think that God might also love the people that might be following you? And God's going to try to change your trajectory. You say you're drawing near to God and God says, but I'm over there and you're going this way. So he's going to put some tests in your life to see, do you really want to draw near? If you do, you've got to come back over here. But God, I've got my water pot. Leave your water pot. But God, I have my nets. Leave your nets. God, I've got my country. I've got my kinsmen. I've got my father's household. I've got my land. Leave your land, draw near to God. And so Abraham, he actually passes this first test, and that's the test of obedience. I remember, I was sharing this this week with somebody, but my grandfather, I remember hearing him, he was a, he was a pastor, and he, he, God took him home when I was about nine years old, ten years old. And, but I remember hearing him preach one time, and, and, uh, and he was talking about, this, just gave an illustration about a boy whose dad said, Son, I want you to put the wood in the fire. And the boy would do it, and night after night, the dad's telling the son, put the wood in the fire. And finally, the boy said, I'm tired of putting the wood in. I'm tired of you telling me what to do. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm out of here. And the dad said, as long as you're in this house, you'll put the wood in the fire. Anything else I tell you to do? The boy says, well, I'll solve that problem. I'm out of here. He gets out and finds out you can pack your bags, and, but you also can come home. He came home, but he didn't have everything that he left with. Instead, he came home with some scars and some heartaches and some regrets. I am glad we can come back to God, however. And he came back and he was repentant and remorseful. And he asked his father's forgiveness. And the father said, I forgive you and I love you more than I've ever loved you. And, and you, your response and attitude towards me never changes my love towards you. I'm glad you're home, son. But there's the wood. There's the fire. Now put the wood in the fire. See, some people, I'm afraid they've made a decision to get saved over again just so they don't, so that they have an excuse for their disobedience. You only get saved one time. And you can pray the slobbery prayer all you want to, and you can get dipped, dunked, buried, submerged in the water all you want to. It'll not change the fact as to whether or not in God's eyes you're passing the test of obedience. Now, Abraham, he could have put up a protest. A lot of drama could have been had here. But he just set out and obeyed. Did he do it perfectly? No, there was some, some conflict along the way. We find Abraham trying to, to, to bring out his own ingenuity in here. And it always causes problems when you fail to trust God fully. But he at least obeyed in this area. I want you to see what God is doing here. He's calling him uh, into away from his comfort zone. He's clarifying his desire. He's adjusting the trajectory of his life. He's isolating him. He's trying to bring Abraham to a place where it's just God and Abraham. Do you know in eternity that's really the way it's going to be? You'll give an account not to all the other saints who have gone before you. You'll give an account to God. And he's trying to help Abraham see all you've ever needed is me. All that matters is me. I want you to see a second test this morning. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 17, will you? Genesis chapter 17. After we pass the test of obedience, there's another test. And they don't necessarily come in this order, but we do find them in this order in Abraham's life. 
in Genesis 17, verse number one, <clears throat> when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. The second test I want you to see is a test of love. He's testing Abraham's love. And what he's asking Abraham to do is to let go of a wrong kind of love. For you must remember, Abraham got desperate. Remember God told him over in that Genesis 12 passage, I'm going to make of you a great nation, meaning there has to be some seed that comes from you. And Abraham recognized, well, I don't have a son in Genesis 12 at 75 years of age. And God uh, is, is telling him, you're going to be the father of many, many scores of people. He'd been wanting a son ever since he married Sarah in chapter number 11, which verse number 29 probably put Abraham at 50 years of age. And so here in Genesis 17, almost 50 years later, he's been desperate. But Sarah, according to Genesis 11 and verse 30, when we're introduced to her, the next verse says she's barren. God's telling us a problem right off the bat. So in desperation, when Abraham was an old man, Sarah suggested that Abraham take her maid, Hagar, and try to bear her son through her before it's too late. Again, something that is not uh, ever condoned by God. It's never the will of God, though it might have been customary in that period of time. It, it was still never condoned by God. But this Abraham did do. Ishmael was born. Abraham's dreams for his son was finally realized in Ishmael. Did Abraham ever expect to have another son other than Ishmael? I don't think so. For he's now 99 years old here in Genesis 17 and Sarah's 89 and both well beyond childbearing years. And Abraham was well aware of this fact and, and, and actually see in verse number 17. When God talks to him about having a son, a son that comes from his seed, we're told that Abraham laughed. And so he was not expecting another alternative. Abraham apparently felt that Ishmael was the son promised by God. God's going to fulfill his promise 25 years ago through Ishmael. Abraham loved Ishmael. Verse number 18, notice what Abraham prays. Oh God, that Ishmael might live before thee. He, he remembers uh, this, this significant reminder of what God said to him when he passed the test of obedience. I'm going to do something great. And for years he's had Ishmael. Ishmael's 13 years old now. Because of Abraham's long desire for a son, no doubt his love for him was deep. The bond between them was probably closer than the bond between most fathers and sons. 
And apparently Abram become, had become comfortable and settled and somewhat complacent, maybe even lethargic and slacking off in this matter of, of seeing God do what God said he would do years before. So Abraham just accepted reality. I'm too old to bear a son. I already have a son. And this is considered my son. And, and he felt Ishmael's bound to be the promised son by God. But this passage, Genesis 17, makes it extremely clear. This was not God's plan. It never was. If we're going to experience God now, we've got to see. God doesn't cut corners. And you experiencing the so much more that he has in store. You can, be a, you can be saved, his child, cut corners and still die and go to heaven. Then you'll regret. Then you'll be remorseful. But right now, God's not going to let Abraham cut corners. Ishmael was not the promised seed. Ishmael was not the son promised to Abraham. So Abraham's faith needed to be aroused again. Abraham needed God to stir and awaken and quicken so that he could see beyond Ishmael. What other way, God? What other possibility? So Abraham had to see beyond the present, had to see beyond the physical, had to see beyond the possible. Abraham needed to be renewed to look at the impossible to believe in the miraculous power of God. And I wonder how many times do we as well, we need an awakening, an arousal by God, a renewing, so that we who've become comfortable, at ease, complacent, lethargic in life, we need God to awaken us. We need a fresh stirring experience similar to that of Abraham. Abraham had the covenant promise back in Genesis 12, and he has it reconfirmed to him once again. And in so doing, he has this fresh encounter with God, stirring encounter with God. How does that take place? By experiencing God, who is the Almighty. Notice in verse 1, when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I, not you, I am the almighty God. When was the last time you met with the almighty God? Too many people are working for the almighty dollar, but you've not experienced almighty God. You know what God does to help awaken what he did in Abraham's life is what he often does in ours. He delays his promises. He delays his promises. He told Abraham back at 75 years of age, here's what I'm going to do. 24 years have now passed since God first promised Abraham a son, a promise that looked increasingly impossible. But in Genesis 15 and verse 6, the first reference in the Bible to Abraham's faith, we find that he believed God. When it says that he believed God, it, it, would be, it could be literally translated, Abraham said, Amen, God. That's what it means to believe God. Amen, God. Amen. And Abraham believed him. And we go on for many more years and the promise is still is not reality. What is God doing? 
He's delaying his promises to clarify what is it you really love? What do you love? Waiting on God is what Abraham is called to do. Waiting on God is waiting for God's timing without knowing when. Remember, God's more concerned about timing than what time it is. Because he's trying to work in you the capacity to experience the so much more. It seems like Abraham waited all of his life. Moses, we're told, he waited for 80 years. Noah, he waited for 120 years. Some of you have been praying. You've been praying for a, a, a problem to be solved in your marriage. How long, God? Well, God's more concerned about timing than what time it is. When are you going to save my lost loved ones? When are you going to heal my body? God, when? When, God? God, when will you take care of this thorn in the flesh? When are you going to answer my prayer? You've been praying and praying and praying. Listen, it doesn't take any faith for you to ask God something and he give it to you immediately. But God will allow delays in order that we might pass the test of love. And sometimes that requires letting loose of a wrong kind of love. There's a practical lesson here for Abraham. <clears throat> he had to let go of Ishmael. He had to let go of the idea of Ishmael. It just makes sense, God. This just makes sense. And what God is trying to do is help him see that what makes sense to you doesn't always make sense. Because it makes sense to you doesn't mean that it makes sense. Let me say it again. Just because it makes sense to you does not at all come close to meaning that it makes sense. What may, may make sense to a three-year-old may not make sense at all to a 30-year-old. What makes sense to a perverted person may not make sense according to God. And what God is trying to get Abraham to see is you've got to let loose of something you love if you're going to get what God loves. You may settle for what you love because it's better than nothing, but God's intention is not never for you to settle with nothing. God's plan for you is never to settle with something. God's plan for you is to be satisfied with Him. Amen. What God is preparing for you is a bright future. Don't cling to the things of the past. <clears throat> Ishmael, what does it represent? It represents the past. Isaac represents the future. Ishmael symbolized man's fleshly way of accomplishing something for God. Now, sometimes somebody will come in and say, Pastor, I need your counsel. My question now, I'm, I'm, it takes me a while, but I'm learning. But now my question is, is it going to make any difference? I mean, before I ever give an answer, is it going to make a difference? Because if it's not going to make a difference to you, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. God's not going to help you with your Ishmael. God's trying to get you to stop embracing the wrong plan, the wrong love, 
that you've had. Doesn't matter how much you love them. Doesn't matter how much it seems right. It doesn't matter how much it makes sense to you. What ought to make sense is Bible sense. If you have an Ishmael in your life, you're going to give it up? Nope. Then you would never have known Isaac. Do you know the message we'd be preaching today would be a whole lot different? Thousands of years later, it'd be different if Abraham would have settled with Ishmael. God wouldn't let him. And God's not going to let you either. Amen. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, wrote to a friend who was perplexed about a painful experience. Carmichael said, quote, I will say what our Heavenly Father said to me a long time ago and says to me still very often. See in it a chance to die. End of quote. What was Abraham praying in verse number 18? Oh God, that Ishmael might what? Look at it again, verse 18. You see it, Genesis 17, 18. Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. You know what God was wanting him to pray? Oh God, let me die with Ishmael. See, God will put tests into your life so that you will die to self. To Abraham. Why? So that God, who is the high king of heaven, would be alive in your life. So he's helping us identify our love. It's not until you let Ishmael, your plan, your ambition, your dream, your wants, your wills, your sense making of things die. That God brings you into what he did Abraham, an impossible situation. So what, look at it. If Ishmael's not the plan, God, you're in trouble. If I can't get a son this way, <laughs> well, I just don't know if you know what you're doing, God, because you are in a mess. There's no other way, God. This was it. This makes sense. But what makes sense to you doesn't mean it makes sense. See, God introduced Abraham to an impossible task. See, faith calls Sarah to receive the strength to conceive when she was past the age of childbearing. The Bible tells us Abraham could believe in God even when he was past the age of creating life. Here he is, 100. His wife is 90. And God allows them to come to a place where humanly it's impossible. Humanly, there's no way this will work. Why? So God can do the impossible. Amen. And God says, you're going to have a name change. And God changed his name from Abram. To Abraham. What does the name Abraham mean? Father of many nations. Could you imagine Abraham going down to the flea market? 100 years old. What's your name? Abraham. Father of many nations. Interesting. How many children do you have? Zip. Well, 
you're bound to have some children. No, I don't. Well, how old's your wife? 90. But we're not done yet. What kind of test is this? A test of love, whether or not you're going to love God more than you love something else in the name of God. The test is often the test of an impossible problem. Quit trying to manipulate the impossible. Stop manufacturing miracles. God knows how to do miracles just fine. He doesn't have to get recertified year after year either. Did you know that? He can perform miracles just fine. You ask God, how will you solve this? I know you promised it. How are you going to do it? How are you going to bring it about? How are you going to work in my life? How are you going to take care of this? And God said, you're going to have a son. In fact, the Bible says when God reaffirmed the promise in Genesis 17, they laughed. Sarah laughed. Abraham laughed. What did they name their son? Isaac. It means laughter. I want to remind you, God gets the last laugh. Love him. I try, but I can't. He knows that. So would you at least trust him, obey and let him bring the test into our life to help him, help us rather see what he's doing. He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to help us to see he loves me. He's not going to let me cut corners. He loves me. He's not going to let me take a, a uh, detour. Abraham's act of faith was essentially the same. Genesis 17, essentially the same as in Genesis 12, except it was getting harder. So in this waiting period, Abraham, he's relying upon God, and he has to hear this. Abraham, I'm God Almighty. And that does something. Faith cometh by the word, the word of God. It's God's word to us. What is God's word? I am almighty God. And what does God t tell him? Listen, in verse number one, God says, I'm the Lord almighty. I'm almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. In other words, he just says, live in my presence. Stay in my presence. That's what he says. Walk before me. Stay. Experience me, Abraham. And just be blameless. You're not perfect. It doesn't mean perfect where he doesn't blow it. He just means stay, stay in your lane of trusting me, trusting me, trust me. Because if you do that, there's going to be a real miracle that's going to show up. But you're going to have to let go of Ishmael. In Genesis 12, God says you've got to leave a land. Get out of your comfort zone. Genesis 17, he says, you've got to let go of a wrong love, Ishmael. See, God's been wanting to do a work in our lives, and God's been wanting to do a work in some of your lives, but you put God on the sideline when he needs to be in the game. It's because you won't let go of your plan. Your plan's not going to work. 
It might be a pacifier. You know what a pacifier is? It's just a substitute. It's a, an artificial substitute. And God says, why settle with the Ishmael in your life when you could have the real deal? Let me give you this last one. Here's a third test. Go to Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, here's a third test. It's all of faith. It's the matter of faith in the test of obedience. You've got to leave a land. And that often involves asking where, when, God's not obligated to answer. Then he moves us to a second test that allows us to experience God more. And that's letting go of a wrong love, Ishmael. And that often involves asking God how. How, God, are you going to do this? And God tends to like to do things in the realm of the impossible. But then this third test is the test of surrender. And the test of surrender has to do with losing a life. And it often involves the question of why. Why? In Genesis chapter 22, it's not the where test. It's not the when test. It's not the how test. It's the why test. Notice in Genesis 22, verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. I wonder how many are responding to God that way even in the message. Amen. God, here I am. Behold, behold, here I am. Right here, God. And he said, God said, Take now thy son, <clears throat> thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. See, I used to think in Bible college, I had to go through days of severe testing. But one day when I get to be the, the, the status of Dr. Childs, who is one of my teachers, professors, then, then I don't have to go through the agony of waiting on God and, and experiencing God testing me in my life. But here Abraham is way up in years and God is still not telling him everything. God is still saying, Abraham, this is a big deal. You weren't planning on this one. This is out of nowhere. It's going to shock the socks off you. But here's what I want you to do. And even in the midst of telling him something that is literally could, could rip his heart out. And God says, I'm not going to tell you everything until you take the next step. And upon that next step, you'll find a little bit more clarity. And upon the step after that, you'll find more clarity. Listen, we never graduate from trusting and obeying. Never. What is it that God's doing in his life? God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Verse 3, Abraham said, let me pray about it. You see that? Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac and his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went into the place which God told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and, what's the word? Here he's being asked to do something. Let me just say this, and I'll put these two statements together. This test of surrender oftentimes 
It has to do with a senseless tragedy. A test of surrender, I don't think would really be surrender if it did not involve what appears to you or me as a senseless tragedy. God, it doesn't make sense. Horrific. You, you, you dealt in my heart. You got on to me about my love for Ishmael, which was my way. I was praying in Genesis 17, have my own way, Lord, have my own way. And you worked in my life. And so that Genesis 22 here, you're saying take your will for my life and sacrifice him and surrenders a test of whether or not we're willing to lose a life. Obedience back in Genesis 12 regards leaving a land. A test of love is the idea of letting go of a wrong love, Ishmael, but surrender has to do with a willingness and obedience of losing a life. Senseless tragedy. And Abraham, it says, he responded, Behold, here I am. In verse number 7, his son speaks up. Daddy, in verse 7, the father says, Here I am, my son. But verse number 5, he says, We're going, I, I don't understand it all. Because this is a matter of why. Son, I can't tell you why we're doing this other than God. But we're going to sacrifice you. Abraham's mindset, he's been with God long enough to know what makes sense to me doesn't necessarily mean that it makes sense. And Isaac, the promised son, Dad, are you sure we're doing the right thing? Son, I love you. But God loves you more than I do. If this is God's plan, I'm willing to lose you. God was testing the commitment of Abraham. You say, well, wouldn't God already know the answer to all these tests? Well, sure. The tests are never for God. The test is for you. It's for Abraham. And Abraham didn't have this response of, I just want everybody to leave me alone. I've got to mourn. Verse number five, he says, we're going to worship. See, we think of worship, well, let me ask you. I've already given you the answer. What are they doing in heaven right now? 
And God says to know Him and experience Him now, we can participate in worship now. And Abraham says this greatest trial and tragedy in human terms in my life, the greatest is still worship. Because when you trust God, the greatest trial of surrender, when it seems to be a a tragic situation, if you're trusting God, it's all worship. How's it going to play out? I don't know. God's not obligated to answer those questions. And Abraham recognizes it won't do me a whole lot of good to ask God a lot of questions because he's God. We know that Abraham gets to the place and and he puts his son upon the altar that he reaches with that knife. and, And we find in verse number 11, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. And he's using just a terminology in the sense of how we as individuals would respond to each other because God already knows the answer. But he's saying, you have demonstrated that you fear me. In verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, there's a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. You see it? What's the name of the place? Jehovah Jireh. Mm. What is happening? Abraham hears from God and he responds appropriately. Here am I. Here I am. Jacob had those same words, that same response in Genesis 46. Moses responded the same way in Exodus 3. Samuel responded that way in 1 Samuel chapter 3 in verse 4 and verse 5, verse 6 and verse 8. Isaiah had the same response in chapter 6 and verse number 8. But see, what God is doing is saying, Abraham, that good thing, That best thing, the things that God has given to us, they can still become idols. Since I know preachers better than I know anyone else, I can tell you this, that we preachers sometimes make an idol of ministry. I believe a ministry and many a church building has been raised as a monument to ministerial ego rather than to the glory of God. In every godly life, there's an altar. But if God is not on the throne of your life, there's an Isaac, the greatest love of your life that needs to be placed on that altar. Why? Because when we lay our Isaac on the altar, what we're acknowledging is that I possess this. I possess this gift. I possess this ministry. I possess this from Almighty God. But possession never equals ownership. And God is reminding Abraham. I don't care whether I gave it to you or not, Abraham. Until you love me more than you love anything. You'll not be the container that can handle all the blessing and the work that God has for you and those to follow. 
Roy, Roy Hesse in The Great Revivalist said to be broken means to have no rights before God and man. We'd never have a church problem if we just would adhere to that. It does not mean, Roy Hessian says, merely surrendering my rights to him, but rather recognizing that I haven't any except to deserve hell. It means just being nothing and having nothing that I call my own, neither time nor money nor possessions nor position. In order to break our wills to his, God brings us to the foot of the cross and there he shows us what real brokenness is. God says before you complain, before you pout, before you take your toys and you go somewhere else, God says, let me take you to the foot of the cross and you take a look at my son and I'll show you what brokenness is and then you tell me where you stand. Possession is not ownership. I've said many times, I'll keep saying it, don't ever let what God brings into your life as a blessing and a gift and because of your wrong response, you turn it into a curse. The Bible teaches us that children are a gift from God. However, because of many a parent not recognizing what it means to experience normal Christianity, open hands, living surrendered to Him, not experiencing brokenness as Jesus, not my will, not my will, not my will, but thine be done. They take that which God gave to them as a gift and they turn it into a curse to camouflage and to coat their own selfishness. What is God doing? He's doing a work in Abraham's life, but he's getting ready to prepare for Isaac's life. And after Isaac, there'll be another and another. What God is doing again is he's changing the trajectory. No, no, Abraham, get your hands off. No, get your hands off. This is the way you need to go. But God, it makes more sense. Didn't ask you, Abraham. I'm the almighty God, not you, Abraham. Possession is not ownership. Genesis 22 and verse 8, my son God will provide himself. Let me ask you in closing, are you facing any of these tests today? I believe everyone here faces at least one and some of us are facing more than one of these tests. Some of our tests involve where, God, where do you want me to be? When, when God are you going to answer? How, how are you going to bring it to pass? Why, why God are you doing this? It's all right, it's all right sometimes to wonder God, where will I end up? Where do you want me to be? It's all right to wonder God, when are you going to fulfill your promise? It's okay to wonder how will you bring these things to pass? It's all right to wonder why did this particular thing happen to me? It is all right to ask those questions as long as you as a child of God will follow God's leading even when you don't know where, when, how, or why. And you trust God's timing even when you don't know when. You trust God's purpose even when you don't know why. And you will expect a miracle even when you don't know how. It is all right sometimes if you have those questions. Because if you know the where, if you, let me say it this way, Rather, if you don't know the where and you don't know the when, you don't know the how, you don't know the why of anything, 
everything that's happening in your life, it's okay. As long as you know the who. And Abraham said, the Lord himself, he'll provide. He's come through every single time, my son. No greater education and training can your children ever get than to watch you trust and obey no matter what. Let's stand together, please.